you'd grab your seats with me. Am I on? If you'd grab your seat area and stand with me. There's a text of scripture on the screen that we'll read out loud together. This is Galatians 6 6. Let's read that. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Thank you. You may be seated. So let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. If you taught God's word by a teacher, be excited about sharing all good things with that teacher. So this text today is about the contribution that the teacher and the taught make to each other in light of the gospel actually having happened. So the teacher works to administer the word of God to the people of God so that they can be discipled in the word of God and built up by it. And those who are taught, the people of God, support the work of the teacher as they do that work. Now, one of the ways that those who are taught, we who are taught the word, support that work is through money. So a big part of today will be on giving and money. And um, I can say that in my own experience, I've sat through money sermons where I was sitting there, and I'm pretty sure, I'm almost positive, they took three separate offerings during the one Sunday. So I say that I think that happened because by the time the second offering plate came around, I blacked out. And then on the third one, I was like epileptic shock. So I think that happened, and, and I go to say that by just saying I know what money sermons can be like, and I'm, I'm not trying to go there today, just trying to be faithful in the text that, that God has given us. So I want to say one of the reasons why I'm excited about having this text today, and it's because I think I'm in a unique position. So for about three years, myself and my wife have been members of this church, and as members of the church, we live in community deeply with some of you, and we know some of you really well. And another part of being a member here is week to week, month to month, year to year, we sit under clear and helpful Bible teaching that comes forth from this pulpit, this buttress of truth. So as a member here, I am in the position of one who benefits from the teaching. And as a member here, I do give of, of part of the money that God enables us to make to this church, and I, and I love to do so. And so part of that money goes to supporting the work of pastoring and teaching out of this church. Now, I also, the reason I think I'm in the unique position is because on a very small, minuscule basis, I get the terrifying but awesome opportunity every once in a while to preach from this pulpit. And so not only today am I, am I teaching on a text that says, hey, share all good things with the teacher, I get to do so as a member of this church who's unpaid and who's not on staff here. So I hope that what, what happens with that is that corresponds into somewhat of a, a unique understanding that, or a unique perspective on this text that I, I, I hope is helpful to everyone here. So before we begin, why don't you, will you pray with me? God, we just want to be faithful to your word here. We want to honor Jesus in our lives. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd come and shape us, make us look more like Jesus, help us to live a life that honors Jesus, and we'll give you all the praise for that. Amen. Okay, so whether or not you're excited about giving your money away really depends on what you're giving your money away to, right? 
if you've got a lot of money or you've got a little money, whether or not you're excited about parting with a single dollar of it depends on what you're giving to, right? So has anyone ever been assaulted by a person who's raising money for a cause that you just don't care about? Yeah, okay. So my example was a few years ago, I knew a high school student really well, and they were selling cookie dough for some whatever cause I just didn't care about. So I didn't want to be a jerk. I didn't want to look wicked cheap and not, you know, supporting this student I knew. But I didn't want to pay $20 for a batch of cookie dough, and I didn't care about their high school band uniforms. I just didn't care what you play, what uniform you wear when you're playing in the band. So my thinking was, yeah, I want the cookie dough. I don't want to pay quadruple for it. And whatever you're wearing when you're playing in the band, I just don't care. So I wasn't excited about giving my money away. But I do think that this text, Paul puts this here, and he does that because I think it's a reason that we can be excited about, and I think that's why Paul puts it here, and so let's get into the text. So this is Galatians 6.6. 6. He says, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So Paul puts this sentence, this statement, in between verse 2 that says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then after this is when he gets into sowing and reaping. And he says, let's not tire of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So giving of your good things to Christian teachers is one way that we get to bear the burden of each other. And it's another way that we get to sow into God's kingdom where he is reaping a people for Jesus. So park that in your minds, couch that context there, and then... At the end of this, we'll we'll go back to that. But in general, I think Paul puts this here just because he wants to make sure that the ministry of preaching God's word, of teaching God's word, is well supported. So in much of Paul's writings, he encourages Jesus' followers to give their money in a way that the ministry of God's word is sustained and upheld and propelled forward. And so that's what Paul's doing here teaching God's word is important work to Paul. So if you can think of any positions in life where it is like really important that you, um, that you make sure the people who are working, these, the employees that are working these jobs get, get paid because the job is so important, right? So if you can think of like a nuclear power plant, you want to make sure the guy who's in charge of making sure the power plant doesn't erupt gets his biweekly paycheck. Right? It's important. You want to make sure the CEO of your grocery store chain gets their paycheck so that your grocery store chain doesn't implode and all of New England is affected. Is, is anyone else feeling the, the wrath of Market Basket right now? So there's three Market Baskets in Billerica. There's not a single Stop and Shop, Shaw's, or even Whole Foods. We're relegated to Walmart right now. People die in Walmarts. So I'm like, you know what, Market Basket, I wish you just paid the man his money and then we'd be getting our food just like we were before. Some jobs are important in the universe. Paul wants us to make sure that those who teach God's word have a way of supporting themselves and their family so that they can continue on in that important work, right? But it's more than simply, hey, The man's working. This is a command. Pay him his money. It's more than that. 
The teacher and the taught are sharing in something and they're participating in something that's much, much greater than a bi-weekly paycheck. So Paul mentions teaching. I, I think we, we understand the lesson of how important teaching is when we get to witness someone who completely ignores clear and, and helpful teaching. So if you can't be taught anything in your life because you're a proud and stubborn person, you will inevitably be taught by the experience, right? So that, that's proverbial. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit goes before the fall. So the most unteachable, prideful, stubborn human beings on the face of the planet are two-year-olds. Two-year-olds, right? You tell a two-year-old, hey, Johnny, you see that cliff over there with the spikes at the bottom? Don't go off that cliff. You'll be impaled. And they go like this, right over to the cliff, just so smug. They just are going to run right off. So my living room has a natural gas fireplace with a blower on it, and it heats the whole bottom floor of our house. And when we moved there, Glenn Cruz had to come over and show me how to use it because new homeowners don't know anything. So... Not only is it great to look at, we absolutely love this fireplace. Like in the winter, it's nice, it's calming. But the glass window pane on the front gets hotter than you can imagine. Like you know how when something's hot, you can, you can tap it and you know that it's hot by tapping it, but you don't get burned the second you touch it? This glass window pane is not like that. The second you touch it, you're getting burned. So my niece was over the house, and at the time she was like one and a half. And I said, no. And she heard, yes. And I said, no, no. Like, Isabella, listen, listen. See this? Hot, hot. Don't touch. And she was Usain Bolt in the 100-yard dash like this. The second I turned around, she ran up and she put her palm right on the window pane. And then she cried for like six hours. So the teaching is important, right? She didn't listen, but she was taught inevitably by the experience. And I think that two-year-olds show us why God has given us teachers. It helps us understand why God has given us teachers. Everything in life is, either needs to be taught by the teacher or it's inevitably taught by the experience. That's a basic truth, right? So God, his heart being in salvation, in grace, but there is this wrath to come on the world, and there is God's wrath on mankind due to sin. And so that wrath is coming, and because of that, he sends teachers and prophets, and he does this all throughout redemptive history, where he sends teachers to teach God's word, to show off who his son is, so that we can escape the wrath to come. Now, Paul in this sentence, he doesn't, he doesn't expand or explain why teaching is so important. He just doesn't do it. He simply assumes that every Christian is being taught by a Christian teacher. This is just an assumption of his, and he doesn't get into reasons. He says, the one who's taught, the one who's taught. Now, I'll, I'll do a little teaching here with that. The word taught in this sentence is catechize. So the Greek word is katecheo. That's where we get this word catechize from. And catechize is when people are instructed in Christian teaching, in doctrine, in Bible. So right now, as, we, as I'm speaking, as we're sitting here, this church's children 
are downstairs being catechized. Now, that sounds painful, but it's not. They're downstairs being catechized, meaning they're being instructed in the ways of the Lord. Right now, I'm teaching from the text, and I'm catechizing, right? I'm attempting to teach God's word for our mutual upbuilding. So Paul assumes that this is happening in the Christian church in every one of his letters. He assumes that there are Christian teachers who are submitting themselves to Christian teachers, and there are those who are being taught who are also submitting themselves to Christian teachers. So he also says he's getting at something else, right? He's getting at another question that I want to talk about, and that's where we'll spend the remainder of our time. He says, if you taught the word, share all good things. So what are good things? What are, like, what's a good thing that you'd be excited about someone sharing with you? Bacon? Bacon's a good thing, right? Any vegetarians in the room? What's a good thing that vegetarians eat? I can't think of anything. Um, broccoli? Broccoli's good, right? How about sushi? Any sushi lovers? If you're one of those people who refuse to eat sushi because it's raw fish, stop. Just stop. Go out today after service and get yourself some sushi. Come back next week and thank me. It's delicious. So is Paul saying that if you have a faithful teacher in your life, should you share fresh sushi with them? I think he is. I think he's in the least saying if you're taught God's word by, by, by someone Whatever good thing that you can think of that would be a good thing, let your heart be in sharing that. Whatever that is, whatever good thing you can think of that would make sense with sharing with a Christian teacher, whatever those are, one thing that Paul means inevitably here is money. So if you say, I'm going to share my time and my energy with a pastor, and I'm going to give myself to serving them, I would say, great awesome. Like, that's amazing. That's a good thing. Do that. If you were to say, I'm going to share, like, a ton of love and encouragement, and I'm just going to pour on thankfulness to them, because that would be good for a pastor's soul to receive that, I'd say, absolutely. That is a great thing. That's a good thing. Do that. But whatever you end up saying that you'd like to share, Paul means no less um, material blessings to make sure that the financial needs of the teacher is met. And so Pastor Cruz, before I came up here, opened up with a 1 Corinthians text. And the paraphrase of that is, whatever material blessings that God gives you for your work, give, share with the pastor, the teacher, for their work. So the Bible teaches this in many places. But when it comes to a pastor's salary, a teacher's salary, and, and the money they make through the givings of the congregation, I have, in my life, had like a bunch of misconceptions about it. So I've always, I, I have in my time thought wrongly about this, and that skewed or affected my excitement about the part of my giving that was going to directly to the pastor's salary so that they could, so that they could do their work. So what I want to do here is just share some of the pos- popular misconceptions about pastor salaries and teaching that, that I've been plagued with. The first one, misconception one, teaching is not work. Teaching and preaching is not work. So I didn't always think it was. For a long time, 
I viewed manual labor as the only type of labor that counted as actual work. And I call that blue-collar snobbery. So blue-collar snobbery is when you work really, really hard with your body all day long, right? You're a landscaper. You're at home with children. You're doing, you're doing a ton of stuff with your body around the house. Like you're working really hard with your body. Or you're the gopher at a construction site that gets told, this huge pile of wood gets moved over to there, and that's what you're doing all day. And you come home, and you're like, oh, you're absolutely beat. And the tendency in that is you can look at someone who works in an office-type setting and be like, they're just chilling. They're not even working. They're just having fun. So you look at a pastor whose time is studying and preaching and preparing and setting up systems and meeting with people as a guy who's just not working, not doing anything. Now, since I've moved out of manual labor, I've shifted from blue-collar snobbery into white-collar snobbery. So white-collar snobbery is I am overworked and I am underpaid. And I am definitely overworked and definitely underpaid when it comes to those pastors who just chill and drink coffee all day long. So you look at yourself who's like under a manager and you're getting beat up at work and you're just like, man, these guys have it made. They don't do anything. They show up on a Sunday. They come. They open the door. They come in. They give a few how you doings on the back. They shake your hand. They stand up here nonchalantly. They talk for a half hour. Then they go home. They had a three-hour work week. And you're like, man, they got it made. So the problem with that, of course, is it's wrong thinking. So a pastoring and teaching is hard work, and a part of that work takes a lot of time. So what now I'm learning from experience, now that I have a little bit more responsibility in my life, is something that most people already knew, that if you're giving your time to one thing, it takes away your time to do another thing. Time becomes the problem. So if you have to clean a gutter, time. If you've got to prepare a presentation, time. You have to review a contract, time. You have to do anything, right? Time. You've got to prepare a sermon, that's time. So if you're using time to do one thing, you can't at the same time use, use an amount of time to do another thing. And so the pastor and teacher who has given themselves over to preparing and praying and meeting with people and studying and being deep in the word to put it forth for others to build them up, that takes time. And so now I realize in the Gospels, when Jesus says to his disciples, when he sends them out, he says, a laborer, laborer, deserves their wages. And he's saying, hey, if you work a job and it's taking your time, you deserve your pay. And so that's a misconception that I had that God's clearing up there for me. The second one is this, and I think this is a big one, that the money from the church givings should go to more noble, holier things. So I've generally been way more excited about the church's funds that go to outside giving than I have to inside the church staff support. So the percentages of money that go to like overseas missions or go to overseas missions where work's being done in the gospel, but there's also like a humanitarian aspect behind it and people are being helped, those have generally in my life excited me a lot more. And so the example like I can think of is if someone came up to me and they were like, hey, I need $100 from you so that I can buy 
desperately needed medical supplies for, for children in, in Africa, and not a dollar that you give me is going to go to myself, so I'll go into that. I think I'd be more excited about that than I would be if he was like, hey, I need $100 from you so that I can take off Friday from my day job so I can prepare a sermon for Sunday's gathering for the people who are going to be there on Sunday. The first situation would excite me more. And what I don't mean to do is like pit opportunities for giving against each other. Like each one of these things is going to take discernment and and prayer to know, you know, like what, what should I be giving my money to? But I think my point is that giving to the local work of pastoring and teaching isn't a lesser thing. And so this text from Paul helped clears up that misconception, if you're holding it, that this isn't making sure that the pastor, the teacher, that they're provided for, like that's not a good thing. And that, that clears that up for me. The third one I've held is this. Money's evil. And so a pastor and money just don't mix. So I could just be laying out for you my own misconceptions and you might never ever be played with these or think like this. But for a long time, I hated the topic of money and pastors. I just didn't think those two things should mix and so I wasn't really ever excited about that. And so I came to this text kind of not excited. For me, it was the holiest pastor is the poorest person, right? The holier the pastor, the more that they just eke by in life, that they never know where their next paycheck is coming from. Every day is a new miracle where a check shows up in the mail or they're sitting at the dinner table and they're looking at empty plates and they go, we don't know where the food's coming from. But a church member knocks on the door with a bunch of meats and they're like, God just told me to buy you a bunch of meats. Here you go. Now, for me, that was like, that's how the holy pastor lives. They just never know where their provision's coming from. So that's a misconception. Now, miracle stories where God provided are awesome. God loves to show off that he's a father, that he's a provider. He loves to show that he has the ability, that he can do this, that he does do this. So those are awesome. And in writing this, I was thinking, I, I had conversation with a pastor who was deeply involved in my life at one time, and he told me that when he was starting off, he had no money, and he had a preaching engagement at a church that was far away from his house, and he was going to do this on Sunday, but he had no money and no gas in his car. And he told me, literally, that he was, what he was going to do was he was going to wake up on Sunday, he was going to take the hose from his house, he was going to stick the hose in his gas tank and pump a bunch of water into his gas tank. And the reasoning behind this was he said, if Jesus could turn water to wine, I believed he could turn water into gasoline. Literally told me this. So you know what happened? The water turned into gasoline. I'm joking. Some, some, some of you are like, oh, that would have been amazing. And then others of you are like, if you said that, I would never have believed another thing that came out of your mouth. Now, my point is, these stories are great. They're awesome. God is a provider. But it's not biblical that a pastor always has to be struggling to make ends meet. That they're, like, it's just so never knowing where this money's going to come from, right? 
And so Paul clears that up, right? The text we're dealing with says the opposite of that. Now, I hope those are helpful. Those are just some misconceptions that I've, I've had to like work through in my own life when it comes to this. But I'm coming to a close, and what I want to do is lay out just a couple of reasons why I think we should be like really excited about this aspect of our giving that goes to the teaching and preaching ministry, the upholding of God's word for a people. So the first reason that I get excited and I think we should be excited is this. This is one of the ways that we get to bear one another's burdens. This is a way that we bear each other's burden. So Paul and Jesus, they're happy to say, hey, the one who's taught, share all good things with the one who teaches. So why? And the answer is that Jesus' church gladly bears the burden of each other. And this shows off the gospel. So the gospel is that Jesus, although he was rich, indescribably rich, had every honor due his name, he threw all that off and he put all that aside and he took on our shame. He took on our burden so that we could become indescribably rich. So that's the gospel. Now in this, when we lovingly support with our money the teachers in our lives, those teachers who take on the burden of teaching and pastoring and preaching and shepherding, when, we take, when they take that on, we take on the burden of support for that pastor, of meeting their financial needs in that. So the heart matter here is, is your, is your soul, like is your heart happy about that aspect of your giving? Is your heart glad that a portion of your giving that you give faithfully goes directly to supporting the pastors and the teachers that are in your life. Like, does your heart love that? So if God's called the pastor to bear the burden of the sheep, they do that in a million ways. Is your heart happy for the burden that you take on? Like, are you saying, over the course of many years, over many moons, I will give tons of money, and I do so happily. Like, that is a burden that my soul is happy to take on. The second reason to get excited that I think is this. This is one of the ways that we get to keep on sowing to reap. So loving on a pastor and his family to make sure that they have electricity, that they have food, that they have diapers, that's just one of the ways, one aspect of sowing into the kingdom of God. And it works like this. God has a harvest, right, of souls on this earth that he is reaping for Jesus. And he doesn't just call the pastor and the teacher to be disciple makers for Jesus, to be the ones who show people who Jesus is and what a life living for Jesus looks like. But we, all of us who are taught, are disciple makers too. We're all called to that. But there is this aspect where our giving frees up the time of the pastor and the teacher to work really hard at that work, put forth the word, make disciples in the preaching of the word, in the upholding of God's word for people to hear. And then when they make disciples in that, we're partakers of that. We're participants in that discipleship making when we free them up with our support and our giving. So we're invited into this. And I'll close with this. The last, the last heart thing here 
is, is your soul behind that? Like, do you hear this text and does it get you excited? Or do you hear this text and you're like, uh, not so sure. Is your heart like, yes, I am so behind this. I love, I love that an aspect of my giving goes to, goes to supporting the pastor so that they can give their self over to teaching so that more and more disciples are made. So I'd ask you to think on that. Pray with me. God, we give you the praise that you took on our burden that we could not carry. You took on our sin. You carried it to the tree, and you left it there. God, you made us so rich, and we just love you and worship you. We ask you that you would give us a heart that seeks out opportunities to take on others' burdens, that loves that we get to take on the burden of others. God, I pray that you would help us to not tire of doing good, to continue to sowing into your kingdom work, and that you would make our hearts really glad and happy in that. God, we give you the praise. Amen.